Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Success Grid Podcast with me, Hussein. This is episode number 40 with DTK David Taylor Klaus. How big are you willing to play in life? Enjoy this one. Welcome to Success Grid, the place for sharing entrepreneurial stories, knowledge, and wisdom to educate and inspire you to always strive to raise your standards in your business and your life. With your host, Hussein Talib. Welcome to a new episode of the Success Grid Podcast with my guest today, David Taylor Klaus. He brings decades of experience to his current professional playground at DTK Coaching, where he spent a dozen years coaching successful entrepreneurs and senior executives. David, are you ready for the grid? Absolutely. Let's play. Okay, awesome. Let's go. So tell me about how do you see yourself uh, as a, do you see yourself as a coach? Do you portray this image about yourself or what exactly? And tell us a little, more, a little bit more about yourself and what you do exactly now. Got it. Yeah, I, people have a weird understanding of what coaching is. And so when people say, what do you do? I don't say I'm a coach. The way I describe it is that I reintroduce successful entrepreneurs and senior executives to their families. And, and that's because the folks that I get to work with are the ones that have gotten so driven and motivated by what they do that they tend to ah, overcalibrate, to go heavy towards work and sort of lose their connection to the other things that are important. And so the work that I do All right, here's a good way to describe it. The work that I do when Michelangelo was asked, how do you carve such exquisite figures? He said, I don't. I just free them from the stone. (laughs) And so much of the work that I get to do is through coaching, my clients chip away all the crap that isn't them, that isn't true. And then they figure out that they get to live, love, and lead from there, from that authenticity. That's what the real work is. So that's what I do. Good. That's that's uh, deep, actually. So, uh, how do you rewire these kind of things, and how rewiring means this? You're working on their mindset, the brain. How how do you do that? Yeah. So, <laughs> the brain works the way the brain works. <laughs> the way electricity moves through our brain, it doesn't change. But we're impatient. We're like very small children who want everything right now. And having a supercomputer in your pocket doesn't make that better. Like the world is at our fingertips. And so we've gotten lazy and we've gotten even more impatient. And the only way that change happens is small actions taken with a high frequency for a good duration of time. Depends on whose study you read, it's between three and four weeks. So if you can do something that's a small activity multiple times a day, and you can do it over a month, you start to build a new habit. And whether that's a new way of thinking, a new way of being, or a new way of doing, the work that I get to do is is helping folks take on different mindsets and then in a very practical way, use that mindset, play it out over and over again to build a new habit, to make that the default way of seeing the world instead of 
those mindsets they've held for their entire lives that have kept them playing small or kept them stuck or kept them locked in the grid. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned 30 days. Does it actually take the brain to change things or rewire things in 30 days, even on the small stuff? Especially on the small stuff. The, the only way you change the big stuff is by working on the small stuff. Because your brain, on every neuron, there's a long stretch called an axon, and it has a layer of fat on it. And the more times an electric current goes across that nerve, the thicker that fat gets. And the thicker the fat gets, the better the electricity goes. Mm. And so every time you have the same thought or the same behavior pattern, that same neuron fires. And your brain keeps wanting to do the same thing because of that fat layer, the electricity wants to go that way. Mm. Well, if you want a different thought and you want it to be a different neuron going a different direction, then you've got to get it to go across that nerve. You got to have that thought over and over and over again. So more fat goes here and this one atrophies and gets smaller and stops getting used. Mm. That's the only way it works. It's just neurochemistry. And we've known this part of neurochemistry for a really long time. Mm. But we have all these people saying seven steps to seven figures, just follow these steps and make these big changes. No. That stuff that worked for somebody else in their market at their time with their values, you're not the same person. You don't have the same values. You don't have the same market. Mm-hmm. What are the behaviors and the changes you want to create? And, and let's start looking at building the patterns and routines to make those changes in your world. Mm-hmm. When, when, I, when I wrote the book, I wrote Mindset Mondays with DTK, mm-hmm. and I didn't want it to be shelf help. You know, just this really cool book that people put on the shelf and it yeah. never did anything. N- never read it, actually. Maybe read the half exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, this is what ha- they say. Well, maybe I read something somewhere else and stuff like that. They, yeah, I didn't want that to happen. Well, that's why I built the Rewire Framework. It, it's a six-step, six steps that I put at the end of every single chapter that are that are customized for each chapter to help you take each lesson, each idea, each new mindset, into your world, not mine, into yeah. your world and experiment with it and play with it to try to help embed that learning in your world. And it's that's that's what the entire framework is about. It's using brain science to get you out in the world, changing your life. Mm. So so you mentioned that in every chapter, in every chapter in the book, you have the steps to shift the mindset. Absolutely. Well, yeah. To make uh, the learning real. So so are they going to be different in your book? The steps are or are they the same? Exactly. The, the, the steps are different. The, 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 the steps themselves, the framework is always um, is always they're the same steps, but they look different for each chapter. Mm. So there's always a reflect step at the beginning, but what you're reflecting on is unique for that chapter, mm. right? And there's an experiment for each chapter. And there's a write stage to write with your hand, not type. It's rewire, not retire, <laughs> because I want you to actually pick up a pen or a pencil and write, yeah, right? Yes. right? Um, investigate, revise, and expand. So there's a different version of each of those steps that's unique to that chapter but it's the same i the same framework is used in every single one mm. 
Boom. And wait, so so here's cool. You can go to rewireframework.com at any time and download the framework for free. And it, there's a version of it that will show you how to use it in your world to pick a new idea, a new mindset, or a new behavior that you want to take on. Create six steps using the framework, and you can use it. And it's mm. you can download it for free. It's easy to use. Yeah, it's awesome that you mentioned like you need some kind of a blueprint. But because all of us people have different things, our mind works different ways. So like you mentioned, uh, I want to make you $10,000 this month or whatever it is. This does not apply to, to all people at the same time because things are different in their brain, how things work, how they will work, how, how much action they might take, maybe. That's and it. what what your life experience has been and what lights mm. you up and what your values are yeah. and what what the economic landscape is the political mm. landscape uh, you know there's there's so many privileged environments and people from those environments saying oh anybody can do this well anybody can do it when you have a financial safety net so exactly. shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah yeah, I have I have strong beliefs about that. It's how do you empower the individual in whatever scenario they're in without mapping your reality onto their world? You 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 give them the knowledge and the framework so they can empower themselves in their world. So how do you see from your experience? How do people sabotage themselves? Oh, Okay, the easy answer is they believe the bullshit in their head. <laughs> no, we, we, we have these instinct-based narratives that run in our head that are designed to keep us safe. They're just really bad strategies communicated at a terrible time and in a bad way. Um, so it's an example. So if I walk into a kitchen as a child and I see the stove and I put my hand on it and it's hot and I burn myself. So a good strategy would be the next time I see the stove to wave my hand over it and see if it's hot before I touch it, mm. right? The saboteur voice, the, the internal ne negative narrative says, don't go in the kitchen, people die there, right? So it's, it's the strategy would keep you safe. It's just not a good one. So these negative narratives, they come from society, they come from culture, they come from education, they come from family. And it's, you know, for entrepreneurs, oh, we hear these things not just in our head because we heard them from family. Oh no, don't leave that good job to start your own thing. You're crazy. Or, ooh, don't aim so big. Wouldn't you be happier with a smaller goal? Right. And those kind of negative narratives become our mm. own internal beliefs. Yeah. And that's what sabotages us more than anything is listening to that. Yeah, exactly. So if uh, regarding this feedback you talked about, if someone told, tells us that, oh, don't leave this job, it's uh, it, it's your safety net or whatever. Uh, don't start that business. You are not going to make it or succeed. Um so are they arrogant or arrogant about that? Well, there's, the, there's an idea that we're taught to think about all the things that could go wrong. And so people are like, oh my God, if you leave this job to go start that new company, that could blow up and you could end up destitute. Mm. 
<laughs> it could go terribly. All these things could go wrong. But what we're not very good at is looking at what happens if things go right. How do we create the conditions for success? And then what happens if those actually work? How do we plan for that? What you put your attention on expands. And if we're only looking at negative scenario planning, we increase the likelihood of that happening. We have to look at the full range of outcomes and focus on how do we create the conditions that minimize the negative outcomes and maximize the positive outcomes. But we have to look at these first. Mm-hmm. I look at these as well. Uh, let me go back to the negative narrative thing yeah. because there's an amazing free resource out mm-hmm. there. Cool. There's a man named Shazad Shamin. Okay who's created a body of work called Positive Intelligence. Positive and conveniently, intelligence. it's at positiveintelligence.com. <laughs> cool. And there's an assessment on his website. It's a free tool. It takes five minutes. And the report you get back is amazing. I've been using it with all of my clients since 2009. Wow. And it helps you identify the nine or the the nine distinctly different negative narrative threads that different people have in their head. Mm. We all have them all. They just, some are stronger than others for each of us. And it's a great way to start noticing what's real and what's the made up negative narrative in your head. It's incredibly liberating. And then if you actually read his book, it talks about the opposite side, the sage voices the positive internal narratives. What's most important for entrepreneurs to understand is this one quote, because it's the foundation for everything. And it's even in the intro to my book. Mm-hmm. It's, we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Mm-hmm. So that means that when we change the lens through which we see the world, we change the lens through which We collect evidence, change the way we experience things. You change your lens, you change your life. Mm. So when you start to see yourself as being successful and able to succeed, it changes the likelihood of your success. And this is not fake it till you make it. This is be it until you become it. Yeah, exactly. This is a critical thing for entrepreneurs. You you have to go through it all. You have have to go through it all. It does not just happen. No. No, no. Maybe if you are lucky, one in like a billion, I don't know. I don't have a magic wand. I can't <laughs> make it happen. So I have to go do it. Okay. So so you mentioned negative thing, but thought patterns. Do you have some ways or tips that this can be overcome to change it to the, to the positive side? I do. It's one of the simplest questions. First, one way to circumvent it is what will this look like when it's easy? Mm-hmm. And you're, when you're facing an obstacle and, and accomplishing it feels hard. I, there was a period where Microsoft actually talked about the fact they liked hiring lazy programmers. <laughs> really? Because yeah, they're because, not good. Yeah. They are going to get things done faster. Yes. They are going They're to find, find yeah, the hacks that yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. They're not going to kludge it and make ugly code that won't work. Yeah. They're going to find the most efficient way, the least amount of effort and energy to make it work. Yeah, exactly. So this is actually might be smarter. Very smart. <laughs> it's brilliant. What will this look like when it's easy? And notice it's not what would this look like if it were easy. 
screw the if. What will this look like when it's easy changes what you see possible and what you can begin to create. So that's the first step because it gets you around it. The other one is when you have these negative interpretations, these negative narratives, is start the what else game. What else could it be? What else could it be? You know, you're, you're simple. You've got an entrepreneur has a, a prospect that they've spoken to a couple of times and they're like, yes, I want to do this. Let's talk tomorrow and set everything up. And tomorrow they blow off the phone call. Well, the first thing that people are going to make up is, shit, I lost the deal. Not going to happen. They don't want it anymore. They were lying. All these negative things. So it's like, well, what else could it be? You have no idea. What else could it be? They're trying to close the client. They need to be able to pay you, right? They had some health emergency. They're with family. Totally lost track. Cell phone died. Make up all the different things that it could be. And you start to realize none of them are true. They're all made up. So, so what if you let go? Exactly. So mentioning that and the pressure from other people and family and friends, and how can someone be less critical to themselves with all this noise coming in? Um, I, I heard something from a teacher of mine 12 years ago. And it probably took me a few years to start to believe it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn. <laughs> we all are in some way. Right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. if all events are neutral, everything that happens, events are neutral. They're neither good nor bad. In fact, not only are they neither good nor bad, they have zero meaning. They're just an event that happened. Meaning happens when we attach meaning to it. So we get all frazzled and upset and have these negative interpretations. But since they're all made up, including my self-criticism, since it's all made up, why not make up something that serves? Mm, yeah, exactly. The self-criticism doesn't help. Flogging yourself on, oh, I hate this about me. Like, I don't like the fact that my forehead has become a six head. I, it's very large. <laughs> And I used to have a hairline that was a lot lower. But I could beat myself up for that, right? And I could spend a lot of money to make sure that the lights don't shine off my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> They are shining on my forehead. Or wear makeup on camera or do a... But you know what? This is where my body is now. And it's just what it is. You know, my hair looks like Tiny Tim and Albert Einstein had a love child. It's like, but I can be upset about it or just be, yeah, it's where it is right now. It is where it is. And it's cool, actually. I love it. I love it. And we, <laughs> we criticize ourselves a lot. And there, there's a very good line from um, uh, David Foster Wallace. It said, you'll care less about what people think about you when you realize how seldom they do. <laughs> Everybody else is wrapped up in their own crap. They're not thinking yeah. about you. Yeah, so they, they, yeah they, they are just, they, I think people sometimes don't want people to get better in their business or their life because, yeah, because don't, they don't want to see them ahead of them. 
yeah, this is what happens. Yeah, I don't know. The competition uh, in comparison is so uh, cruel. Yeah, that, yeah, that's bad. So there is a quote by Henry Ford: "If you believe you can or you can't, you are definitely right." You absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, and it's painfully true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I think, and uh, Walt Disney said, "It's fun to do the impossible." But I'm not gonna right. repeat it again. Something, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I mean, that's the piece. If you decide, you know, it, so many things that that have been done looked impossible before they were. You know, the, the favorite story that you'll hear coaches and therapists and 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 thought leaders and motivational speakers talk about all the time is up until the 1950s, not only did mankind believe that no human could run fast enough to break the four minute mile, the medical and scientific communities came up with empirical evidence, peer reviewed studies that appeared in in medical journals that explained the physics and the science of why humans couldn't go fast enough to break the four minute mile. They literally believed that if somebody ran that fast, the force would kill them. Whoa, their body, really? body would buckle under. Okay. And when Roger Bannister ran a sub four minute mile, three minutes, 59 seconds in, in change, when he looked up at the clock and saw that it was under four minutes, his first thought was, oh, I'm dead. And within the next 10 years, over 300 people had broken the four minute mile. We have beliefs that we use to stop us. Mm. Or we have a belief that we accept and then we collect evidence to make it true. But it wasn't. Mm. So this is exactly what you're talking about. We're talking about people overthinking things, or putting pressure on, on themselves that probably that does not even exist, right? Absolutely. Well, and you said overthinking. I think the problem is, I think, <laughs> I believe, yeah, I think the problem is that we think too much and we don't feel enough. Oh, okay. And, and, okay, here's a little bit more nerdy brain science. There are orders of magnitude more information coming from your body to your brain than there is from your brain to your body. The body's getting in, the body is sending information to your brain all day long. That's how you breathe. That's how you stand up. That's how you move. That's how you feel things. And there's a small amount of information going from the brain to the body comparatively. And yet, when we try to figure something out, we only go here. What about all the intelligence that's here? Mm -hmm. Whether you call it heart intelligence, gut intelligence, or somatic body intelligence, it doesn't matter. There's uh, wisdom in our body. I read, I read like there's three types of mastery, cognitive mastery, emotional mastery, and physical mastery which is like yeah. you do your body like a, t- a professional tennis player like he can maybe play a, a match without even having his eyes open <laughs> because he's been like playing for so long he's not thinking yeah exactly he's just doing it yeah and that's that's the piece that we leave out a lot because i mean we get lots of acknowledgement and awards and accolades for our intellect but this is not our only intelligence. And so, yeah, a lot of the times we overthink and get stuck on stuff. 
but we have answers here. You know, they ask you, what's your gut tell you? What does your heart say? Well, listen to that too. Don't go all head and don't go all heart. It Bring it all. The entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that are willing to pause and listen, mm-hmm. make better decisions. Cool. So speaking of decisions, why do mm-hmm. we keep trying to solve the same problems with the same things that we have created them? That was a that was a, a quote that gets attributed to Einstein that actually wasn't him, is that we can't <laughs> solve problems with the same thinking that created them. Yeah. And yet we do it all the time. Yeah, why that why is that happening to people? Why why um, do we keep repeating that? I we know the same it. result, but we keep doing that. Well, either we're insane <laughs> um or we're we've we've been trained not to ask for help. Uh, okay. So that we that mm. that if we do it ourselves it's better. It's a sweeter victory. We ha- we're supposed to be able to figure it out ourselves. We're smart. And asking for help is a weakness, but that's not true. Mm. Asking for help yeah. is a strength. Yeah. And, and uh, surrounding yourself with thinking partners and with support and being willing, brave enough, bold enough to get answers that you don't have. And first to believe that you don't have all the answers and that you don't have to have all the answers. Yeah. That is a strength yeah so that leads me to people should start thinking of things like uh, if i would do this or what would i do if i knew this wouldn't fail this is this should be their approach right they should for example start a business like maybe i won't fail instead of i will fail right yeah yeah i just i just had a thought (laughs) I remember at the beginning of one of my companies, our attorney said, yeah, you've got a partner, so you should plan the the divorce before you get married. In other words, decide how you'll split up the company if it fails or one of you wants to leave before you start the company. I was like, from a business perspective, yes, it's a good idea to have a partner agreement that tells you how you'll work together. But the lawyer wants to look at it through the framework of what you'll do when it blows up. Their job is to plan for shit going sideways. Yeah, yeah. They, this is their job. This is the seed that they put in. <laughs> and they get they, a lot they, of money for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, they don't have work to do, maybe. Right. But, but it's the, how will this work? What will we do when this goes incredibly well? There was an there was an ad for IBM very early on in the dot com explosion. So this was like 1997, 98, and it showed these guys sitting in front of a computer. the The kid that was supposed to be the web developer is sitting in front of the computer, and they said, "Okay, click the website's live." And oh my god, we got our first order! You know, and the the com- people in the company are standing behind him. Oh, 10 orders. And then the nu- the ticker, the number starts going up. And all of a sudden it's like a thousand orders. And they start looking at each other like, oh shit, I can't <laughs> handle this, <laughs> right? Too much, too fast. And the ad was, you're so ready for IBM. And, and that's the problem. What they were saying for is so many companies were failing because they were failing to prepare for growth. Yeah, They failed to prepare for success. What happens when this is a success? 
Exactly. So you mentioned aiming low. This is one of the things that make people aim low, not aim high. So do you believe like people should aim as high as they can? Because they maybe hit the, the, their target or maybe will achieve even more than that, right? Yeah, and here's the, here's the truth. No significant goal has ever been reached without aiming for one that's higher. So yes, dream bigger than you've ever dreamt before, but take the smallest step towards it you can. It's the small steps repeated often <laughs> that create the biggest shift. Yeah. But we have to start off dreaming big. And here's our other problem. Um, we, get, we, get, we get trapped by the how monster. Like I just got trapped by my chair. <laughs> we, we get trapped by the how monster. We say, oh, wow, what do I want this company to look like in five years? And the second we start painting that picture, we go, oh, okay, what's the first step? How do I make that happen? Ah, it doesn't work. Because we're, we're only, we're planning, we're solving a problem based on the same information and knowledge that created it. So that's the problem with the way most people plan, particularly entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And the way to the real way to plan, the effective way, the vision-based planning is to create a resonant vision of the desired future state. Mm. Right. And, and that means standing in that image and painting a vivid picture of what it looks like, what it looks like operationally, emotionally, culturally. It's you become an expert at painting that vision so that others can be enrolled in it. Then standing there, you plan backwards to where you are now. That is an incredibly effective way to build a roadmap. Trying to do it from here is impossible comparatively. So uh, the formula for success in business, for example, does it have, is there a formula to start with? And uh, do you think having a mentor uh, a mentor or a coach is important to anyone? Well, so so two great questions. First one is get your head out of your ass. That's the first <laughs> piece of the formula. No, because you know a a a brilliant leader hires people smarter than they are and gets out of their way. And okay, there's so many things here. First thing is. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are and seek their help, seek their advice. So that speaks to two things, experts in the things that you suck at. Like for me, that was bookkeeping and accounting. You know, my wife and I hired a bookkeeper before we had our first coaching client because we suck at that and we could burn energy and burn time and burn money doing it ourselves. We could hire somebody and use all of that time, effort, and energy to get new clients and serve more clients. So hire out the things you suck at, right? And mm -hmm. also surround yourself with people smarter than you are and seek their counsel, whether they're mentors, coaches, consultants, or thinking partners. Don't live in your own isolated brain bubble. Surround yourself with, harness the wisdom of the collective. I can't remember who said it, but yes. Yeah, so that's, that's the first bit of the formula, mm -hmm. right? Let's leave it there for now. <laughs> that's the big that's the biggest piece yeah, don't do good. this alone you'll so, die yeah so in general a lot of us especially who's working a lot of hours keep talking about the work-life balance and i i read ah. I, I read i read on your blog that you're talking about rhythm 
Yeah, I hate that. I hate that <laughs> phrase, work-life balance. It's terrible. It doesn't exist, probably. It, it's worse. It, not only does it not exist, it's killing us. It, it's a myth perpetrated by corporate to make you think that, wow, you could still have a 70-hour work week so we can bleed you dry <laughs> and have quality time outside of that. And we want to make sure you have a good balance. Yeah, that's uh, bullshit. Well, actually, no, no, no. yeah, no. But yeah, speaking of no. that, because like when you're working from nine to five or to six, you you go home and you're basically exhausted. You can't do anything for yourself. This is what I have seen. So 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 there is no balance at all here. You're basically just working. Well, and and so here's the thing. There there are three pieces to it. Hmm. The first one is whose idea was it to put the word work first mm -hmm. that's the first problem okay. because it's you know the, the theories of, of primacy and recency primacy we're putting the word work first it has a heavier priority and that's literally true so in 2016 james campbell quick a professor at it uh, in texas um wrote that the 70-hour work week had become the new norm and we're jamming life into the cracks around work mm. that's emotionally and spiritually and physically and metaphysically destructive right so and that was before the pandemic when everything went to hell so so that's the first thing work doesn't belong first so let's say it might be life work balance well here's the other thing in order to balance two things you have to separate them Exactly. Yes. You, you have to put, do that. You, you you have to put this on the right and this one on the left and have a scale. Right? Yeah, that doesn't work. Separating work and life, it doesn't. Your life doesn't go on hold while you're at work, and work doesn't go on hold when you're at home. And then the pandemic happened, and now we're working and going to school and living all at home, and our brains have turned to mush. No, there's no separating them. So balance is the wrong word. Well, then here's the third piece. Work is part of life, just like family and faith and community and travel and time. There are so many aspects to our life. And so you're not going to put all of them into whatever this magical phrase is. So no, it, it doesn't belong in the language at all. So what we're really talking about is a life rhythm. And you're finding a rhythm between work and faith and family and friends and health and 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 yeah. you're finding a rhythm between all the things that are part of your life so that's that language changes the way we prioritize how we expend our time effort energy and and attention that's a phrase that works we should never ever say work-life balance except to make fun of it <laughs> cool nice one <laughs> So what inspired you to start uh, Mindset Mondays? <laughs> I have a marketing person that I've been working with since 1996. And I'm grabbing something. When mm -hmm. I said to her, I want to get better at speaking to any topic through the lens of my point of view, live and off the cuff. And she said, okay, so all of my business cards have quotes on the back. There are 50 different quotes across the different backs. So she said, flip on a live stream, grab a card, and talk about the quote. I'm like, oh, <laughs> live? Shit. <laughs> so 
three and a half years ago, I started doing that for 10 minutes every Monday morning. And on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn, I do a 10 to 12 minute live broadcast. It's always about leadership, mindset, and learning because they're all interwoven. And it, it, it's amazing. People started showing up and started commenting and interacting during the broadcast and between the broadcasts. And, you know, what I thought I knew about mindset and impact, I learned a ton more from the community, from the questions, from the stories they told. And so what I did with Mindset Mondays with DTK is I took the first year of those broadcasts and turned it into a book with uh, 52 chapters, a chapter for each week of your year with a mindset to play with, something that you can use to change your world. And I'm... <laughs> I'm thrilled at how into it people have gotten. Awesome, awesome. So the, your book, Mindset Mondays, what what do you think one takeaway, if there's only one takeaway people should take from it, what would it be? Oh my God, you're in complete and utter control of your mindset and therefore you're in control over the way you experience the world. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, Buddha said that, or allegedly said, that um, suffering begins when expectation diverges from reality. Our mindset sets ludicrously unrealistic expectations. And when we change our mindset, shift our expectations, and I don't mean lower them, <laughs> when we shift our expectations and we seek to control the things over which we actually have control, you know, our reaction to things instead of the things themselves, there is so much more enjoyment in life as an entrepreneur. So much more. Speaking of more, achieving more requires becoming more. Yeah, I keep me that behind this. me yeah. as a reminder all the time. Um, oh my God, I even keep it on the back of my phone. I'm not going to forget. <laughs> the, um, you know, what's important about that is it's back to that idea of be it until you become it. Um, a goal is somewhere that you come from, right? Um, I could say, I, I want to have a healthier body. Yeah. And I can change some of my behaviors to get different results. But that won't last. That's why it's a $100 billion <laughs> industry, the diet industry. Yeah. But if, if, I, if I work on shifting my identity, if I work on the deeper shift, and that in order to achieve what I want with my body, I have to become something different. So if I if I hold the identity of I'm an athlete, not a pro athlete, I promise. <laughs> but if I if I hold the identity of I'm an athlete, then that identity shifts my beliefs that underlie the thoughts and feelings that shape my behaviors and cause the actions that get the results that I get. So what is it? that an athlete believes about morning and routine and eating and so in sleep. And so what are my feelings about that? And what are the thoughts I hold? And what are the actions that I will take? And so that changed my, that just body is always an easy example. That changed my body dramatically. When I hold the identity of a successful entrepreneur, then I go through that same cascade. What is it that a successful entrepreneur believes and thinks about and feels? How do they behave? What are the actions they take? 
And so what are the results they get? So when I change the, ident the identity underneath, then that cascade leads to changing actions so that I get the results that I want. Mm. And that's what an entrepreneur's job is, is to create the conditions for success. Yeah. <laughs> job one. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So tell us about your website. Where can people look, find you? Awesome. Thank you. Um, if, if you go to mindsetmondayswithdtk.com, you can learn about the book. You'll see information about me that you can get at the top of the page. And you can download the Rewire framework from there as well. Awesome. Uh, David, thank you very much for being here today with me on the Success Secret podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.